Worried about your home's furnace or AC? Not anymore. Legacy Heating and Air wants to make it easy for you to stay comfortable year-round. Right now, when you buy a new heating and cooling system from Legacy, we'll give you the complete package worry-free. Get a free smart thermostat, a free duct cleaning, flexible financing options, and free maintenance for up to 12 years. This won't last long. Call your Legacy Pro today or schedule online at LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com. A Cook Family Business. Welcome to Football Never Sleeps, the show with hot questions and even hotter wings. Wait a second, that's not us. We are the aspiring to be viral Notre Dame football show that even runs on bye weeks just for your information. And we've got a lot of it to discuss tonight in a bye week that's coming off the largest win for a Notre Dame team over a top 10 team in 28 seasons. My name is Eric Hansen. It says it right on the little tag there. He's Tyler James. And we're going to talk all kinds of things related to Notre Dame football beyond the bye week, as well as take your questions. We'll work them in during our conversation. I'm not really good at telling you about our special 30-day free trial or all the things that you have to click on and hit to make us happy. So Tyler will take it away. All right. I got a long list. No, it's not that long. But first, if you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, subscribe here. Give us a like. Send us some comments. We want to hear from you. We want others to be able to hear from us. Um, and doing all those things will help us do that. Um, as Eric mentioned, we have a 30-day free trial of InsideNDSports.com that we are offering exclusively to our YouTube audience. You can use the promo code NDYT when you sign up to get free access to our premium analysis and recruiting coverage and special access to us over there on the Insider Lounge. Um, there will be, there is a link in the description that you can click on. That'll take you exactly there to sign up. If you aren't already, we would encourage you to do so. We have some Intel on how Notre Dame's recruiting weekend went, um, that has been up there since late last night. Um, so hopefully if, uh, you're not subscribed, that is enticing enough to subscribe. And if you are already subscribed to us at insideindysports.com, you have taken in that information and you appreciate it. Um, as Eric mentioned, the YouTube details in terms of commenting and sending questions if you are on a desktop uh the comment and chat box should be to the right hand side if you're on a mobile device of some sort the comment and chat box should be below our talking heads um make sure you've clicked through to either the youtube app or youtube's website to be able to comment if you're watching us embedded somewhere you're not gonna be able to do that so make sure you click through and get a chance to do that and we will take your questions throughout the show so send those in We'll be happy to answer them, but we will first start off with Eric's introduction to where Notre Dame's at entering this bye week. You know what? It would be funny if we did eat hot wings on the show sometime. <laughs> we'll have to keep that in mind if there's some kind of special occasion that calls for that. So Notre Dame is ranked a lot of different places this week. We're going to use the AP poll since it's been around the longest, even though I vote in the Super 16. Notre Dame is ranked 15th in the AP poll. They're off until uh, the October 28th home game against Pitt, who is two and four. As I mentioned, coming off the most lopsided win against a top 10 opponent since 1995. This one was a 48-20 thrashing of then number 10 USC. Ironically, the, the team that they beat that badly in 1995 was also USC. So the first place we're going to go coming out of that victory is what are the best case and worst case scenarios realistically 
for a six and two team that finishes this way. Pitt at Clemson by week, which is the second by week, home against Wake Forest and at Stanford. Well, in terms of bowl scenarios, I right. always defer to Eric's expertise on that. But in terms of what Notre Dame can do in terms of winning those games, uh, best case is I think it's pretty realistic that Notre Dame can win all four of those games. I, there's no reason to think that Notre Dame isn't capable of doing that. Now, will they? We certainly know that they aren't always, they don't always live up to their capability um, on a Saturday to Saturday basis. Um, so then if they don't, the worst case would probably be two losses. Um, I think maybe, and it's maybe the next two games, I think are probably the most dangerous pit coming off a, a uh, big win against Louisville, um, a quarterback change that maybe is impacting that program in a positive way, a defense that's not terrible. Um, they're number 26 in total defense right now, better against the run in the past. And obviously Notre Dame um, hasn't been exa- exactly dynamic in the passing game as of late. Um, and then Clemson has a very good defense all around. And so that would be the other game that could challenge Notre Dame on the road. Um, so I think – this point, we're looking at either likely a ten and four team at or ten and two team at best, or an eight and four team at worst. What do you say, Eric? Yeah, as far as the bowls, I think um, they went out there in a New Year's Six bowl. They they really realistically need to get into the top ten, and there's enough teams playing each other ahead of them, at, and a win at Clemson. Even if Clemson picks up another loss between now and when Notre Dame plays down there, if they're able to win that road game against Clemson against that good of a defense, I think that's going to be enough octane to get them into the New Year's Six. It's interesting because I think in our pre preseason show, and I'm going to have to look back at my predictions, but I think I predicted them to play LSU in a bowl game, but maybe, maybe I'm dreaming. I did dream a little bit today. I took a nap <laughs> uh, since we were up till six in the morning on Saturday slash Sunday, but uh, uh, so the New Year's Six, and I think that's realistic, but I do think, like Tyler said, the Pittsburgh and the Clemson games are going to be the most difficult in that run. Pittsburgh is a team that will test Notre Dame in every way Louisville did, and then some. They, They are set up to do exactly what Duke and Louisville did, and they do that to everybody. They lean into the run. Uh, they're not very good against the pass. They'll give that up, uh, but they do rush the passer. They're one of the better sacking teams, tackles for loss teams. They're very aggressive. Shane Simon, former Notre Dame linebacker, is part of that defense. He has more sacks than anybody on Notre Dame this year, uh, but they are not as complete as Louisville offensively, which is funny that they beat them by 17, but that was a big turnover differential in that game. They're one of the worst offenses, even with Christian Vayar having uh, replaced Phil Jakovic. They really, they only had 288 yards offense against Louisville. Again, it was a turnover inspired or turnover powered win for Pittsburgh. Clemson is good defensively everywhere. They do, they do not have a leak in their defense. Their problems have been red zone offense and maybe questionable coaching decisions, but I mean they they open with 
a three touchdown loss to Duke where they missed field goals by a kicker who supposedly kicked 70 yarders in practice. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they lost to Florida state in overtime. And in that game, again, they dominated that game statistically. They held Florida state to 20 yards rushing and Florida state still managed to win that game. So that's going to be a tough one. You know, wake forest, they have issues. Um, they're not a horrible team, but boy, they just got beat by 17 points by Virginia Tech. They changed quarterbacks, so the guy that replaced um, Sam Hartman, Mitch Griffiths, has now been replaced himself. And then Stanford, boy, were they entertaining <laughs> on Friday night against Colorado? Um, you know, I don't. You know, you look at them statistically, and there's no way they match up with Notre Dame. But that was kind of the story last year. And they won by five. So Notre Dame's going to have to bring its A game, but I, I definitely think it's possible. As far as worst case scenarios, I mean, Notre Dame's bowl eligible. And if you lose one, then we're kind of sifting through the non New Year Six bowl games. Right now, um, Brett McMurphy, I can't remember the outfit he works for. Do you remember, Tyler? I think it's the Action Network right now. The Action Network. He projects Notre Dame to play LSU in the ReliaQuest Bowl. So um, that would probably mean LSU would also have another loss. And they certainly have those opportunities coming up. They have Alabama coming up the same week in Tuscaloosa, the same week that they play, that Notre Dame plays Clemson. So uh, from there, we're going to say. with the December national signing period two months away and a key stretch just concluding to impress key 2025 prospects, few loose ends in 2024, how would we gauge recruiting momentum right now, Tyler? Yeah, certainly the win Saturday was needed to sort of stabilize recruiting momentum. I think there was a chance that Notre Dame could start to lose recruiting momentum if the losses sort of started to pile up and Notre Dame wasn't able to live up to that big moment against against USA, USC in the way it did. Um, I mean, beyond just recruiting, I think Notre Dame's season could have been at a point where it started to spiral if if that game doesn't go the, the way Notre Dame wants it to. Um, Notre Dame's in a pretty good spot with a lot of different 2025 recruits. I would say at least at this point, Notre Dame's not as – the, the recruits that Notre Dame is in the mix with and, and and seem to be and recruits that seem to be favoring Notre Dame aren't exactly the big time recruits that Notre Dame has able to been able to land in the 2024 class. Now maybe that changes in the in the in the coming months with, as, as rankings change and and maybe have a better and more accurate reflection of how good these play, players and recruits are as as they're in their junior seasons. Um, but the momentum is good. Like they're they're getting guys on campus. Guys are leaving campus with good impressions. Um, Notre Dame is battling against big time programs for for these school for these players, um, and, and so that's where I would wonder, like, okay, well, maybe maybe these guys are going to end up being higher higher ranked than than where they're at right now. But um, I have a few different future casts out in the twenty twenty five class for, for guys that haven't made decisions yet, whether that's Jerome Bettis Jr., wide receiver, um, who's only a three star recruit currently. Um, Owen Strebig, a four-star offensive tackle out of Wisconsin um, that Notre Dame is in a good spot with. USC seems to be the biggest 
threat there. Um, and he plans to go visit USC for the UCLA game uh, later this season. Um, and uh, some other guys that I've uh, made some predictions for um, that you could get uh, the in- insight on for the ins- on the insider lounge. So, um, but I think generally speaking, it, it things are p- trending in a positive direction. The addition of Deuce Knight at quarterback in the 2025 class, I think, is going to pay dividends for Notre Dame to continue to get the attention of more 2025 recruits. Um, even someone like Nathaniel Owusu Botang, um, who is Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa's brother, um, he tweeted "Go Irish" after the game, um, and he's someone that has sent, so, and he's a top end linebacker. He would be an excellent get for Notre Dame, and I haven't really felt very good about Notre Dame's chances. And I don't say that I won't say that one tweet is going to make me feel better about it, but he obviously is paying attention to what the Irish are doing, um, and that is a positive thing. Um, so there's plenty of work to do there, and we'll see if that ever actually turns into anything, but Notre Dame is capturing the attention of recruits, especially defensive recruits with the way the defense played against Caleb Williams on Saturday night. Well, speaking of the way the defense played, we're going through our taking stock of Notre Dame segment into the bye week. And we're going to talk now about coordinators and we're going to start with Al Golden since that'll be the easiest one, I think. (laughs) Or it has the best recency effect. So what has been your impression of Al Golden? I know early on, I wrote this, and we also said this on the show, that Al Golden's evolution from year one to year two was going to be really important into the bottom line of this program, that they couldn't be the defense they were last year, that he had to make some adjustments. And he did off-season adjustments in what he was doing defensively. So what would be your impression of, of Al Golden through eight games of 2023? Yeah, I think it would be hard to ask of much better from, from what this defense has done overall. I think we've seen at times maybe the defensive line isn't getting the kind of pressure that you'd want or at least converting that pressure into sacks. Um, and then the tackling at times has been not as sharp as you'd like. But I think when you look at the, the overall results, Notre Dame is playing at a very high level against good, both good and bad offenses. Certainly has given up some big plays. That was the issue against Louisville, um, giving up some big plays. But I think you sort of saw the toll that Notre Dame's lack of offense was taking on the defense in that in that Louisville game. Um, so, I mean, mostly outside of the two plays where Notre Dame lined up with 10 men on the field at the end of the Ohio State game, I think you have to give – Al Golden, the very high grades for what he's been able to do with this Notre Dame defense so far. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I think so, too. It was interesting because I spend a lot of time with Al Golden, probably more than anybody else on the beat, because I have to transcribe his uh, interviews on Tuesday nights for the whole group. And he was remarkably calm on Tuesday going into this USC game. He was a little chippy going into Louisville, but he was uh, really calm and and seemed confident uh, going into this. Yeah, I like how he's evolved. Um, I like the different things that he's tried to do with different personnel um, and how he's kept looking for answers to make their defense better. And he's acknowledged um, when they've had issues. I still believe there are two areas where Notre Dame can get better, and if they continue to show the pressure that they were able to against USC, I think they'll get better in both. One is 
mm-hmm. run defense and one is third down defense. Those are both areas where I think Notre Dame can get better. And if they do, then they're going to be a dominant defense, not just a, a really good defense. As I look at the teams they have left to play, Clemson is by far the best of those offense teams offensively, and it's flawed. Stanford, other than what they did against Colorado, hasn't done much offensively. Uh, you know, Wake Forest has been more miss than hit, and you, you can usually make them pretty one-dimensional. Uh, their running game isn't consistent. And then Pittsburgh has been awful. Now, again, maybe the change at quarterback will spark them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, they weren't getting the mistakes they got with Phil Jakovic when they went to Christian uh, Veyer, who is a Penn State transfer. Uh, so I like where the defense is trending, and I like where it's going to trend after the season, even with the possible uh, players that will be heading to the NFL, because I think there's some really, really good athletes in the um, in the younger classes, especially a linebacker. I think there's some good, really good projects, not projects, I should say prospects on the defensive line. I love the young cornerbacks. I'm more curious about the safeties, but we'll see. I think if they can turn Xavier Watts into what we saw Saturday night, if Chris O'Leary can do that with him, I think there's um, hope that he would do that with some of the young safeties on the team. And then even a guy that's going to come in as a freshman, didn't Adam Gorney write about Kingston Villamuasa today? Yep. Um, he was at a big California high school showdown, and Kingston was part of that. And he's very optimistic that Kingston could play as a freshman. He's that good. So, And I believe he's going to end up as a five-star prospect before the cycle is over. So Notre Dame will have a five-star on defense. Um, so yeah, I, re- I really like the direction that the defense is going. All right. What, uh, I'll, I'll flip it to you and have you go first with Jared Parker. Then let's, let's see what you think about wh- what Jared Parker has been able to do so far this season. And then, um, how that relates to what needs to be done the rest of the season for the offense. Well, I think Jared Parker is going through kind of a natural evolution for a guy that's had the the car keys hmm. to the uh, offense for really the first time when he was an offensive coordinator at West Virginia, it was very much your dad sitting in the uh, passenger seat with an extra brake on the floor and everything else. I mean, there was very little of him having total control over that offset offense. So this is really to me his maiden voyage with this, and and I think. In the first four games, he's shown that he's a guy with a lot of good ideas. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I expected of him. And that's probably what it impressed Marcus during the interview process. And what Marcus is known from having coffee or whatever um, <laughs> on the when they were at Purdue together. However, a big part of being a coordinator and an offensive play caller is being able to fix things. Mm-hmm. Tommy Reese... I think went through these same stages, but he always had Brian Kelly as a backstop. There was always somebody there in case Tommy got in trouble that at least thought he had all the answers and could help Tommy Reese. And so I, I think Jared Parker doesn't have that. And I think that was the risk 
and a first-year head coach or a second-year head coach who's a defensive guy hiring an inexperienced offensive coordinator. And I'm not sure yet that Jared Parker has those fixes. Um, so I'm really curious what the pit game is going to look like. The the 251 yards Notre Dame got against USC was a season low. It was it was actually a Marcus Freeman era low, even though we're only 20 game, 22 games into it. However, in Parker's defense, they cashed in the turnovers, and they only had 49 offensive plays, which was part of the, the product of a team that got five takeaways, a lot of those deep into enemy territory. But I think the jury's out on Jared Parker. I, he still has something to prove to me in terms of being able to handle this spotlight and being able to become a fixer. Again, I don't think it's it's unusual, but a lot of times when guys go through this, they're not in the Notre Dame spotlight. They're somewhere else going through this evolution where there's not so many eyeballs and scrutiny on them. So curious your thoughts, Tyler. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm going to, I'll talk about Jared Parker. Then I want to, I want to get to a question. So make sure I don't forget to ask you about okay. as it relates to sort of Notre Dame's offensive output against USC. Okay. Um, so I want to circle back to that. I think this would be a good part, spot to talk about it. Um, in terms of Jared Parker and the season he's having as offensive coordinator, I think there are some good and bad. Um, I think he has a lot of work to do still. There were some things in the USC game that I liked that Notre Dame was doing, whether it was um, some of the end around and, and jet sweep action that Notre Dame was using. And you don't have to always give it, but at least make the defense think about it and, and cause some hesitation there. Um, the one end around that worked particularly well, the Jordan Faison, was off of what Notre Dame runs its counter counter off very successfully. Um, and I thought that was a, a nice wrinkle added. I like the the third and two touchdown pass to Jabron Payne. Yep. Um, it's sort of like puts, puts it on Sam Hartman to make a play, puts the defense in conflict, whether or not they're going to rush Sam Hartman or they're going to try to uh, defend Jabron Payne. All Jaden Greathouse has to do is make a block for just a little bit, which is exactly what he did. He didn't block very long there. Jabron Payne had to run through the guy to get in the end zone, but was probably going to get the first down regardless. And they also had a, a sort of screen action set up the other way. So if if Sam Hartman liked the numbers to the other side of the field, he probably could have gone that way instead. And so I like that. Give, give Sam Hartman some options. Um, put the defense in conflict, which I don't know that Notre Dame has done enough this season. I think Notre Dame's um, – sort of run what it wants to do and maybe not had enough counter punches to what defenses are trying to do to it. Um, the, the counter punch Notre Dame had against NC State was its unbalanced look. Um, that that was important um, and, and showed early on in Jared Parker's offensive coordinator stint that, okay, they, they can they can do things like that. We, we haven't had as much of that since then, I don't think. Um, now maybe – it's easier to do when you have a weather delay to, to do that. Although at least as they said, that was something they planned all week. They just hadn't necessarily shown it, shown it uh, a lot before, before that delay. And then um, um, we're able to come out of the gate and, and get that to work for, to get some, get the ground game rolling with Audrey Estime. So I think a lot of it, we have to, I, I think we have to be honest. A lot of it is that Notre Dame's wide receiver unit hasn't done what was expected of them. And it has been depleted with injuries. Um, and it seems like a unit that 
Jared Parker, and probably rightfully so at this point, doesn't trust, and maybe Sam Hartman doesn't trust as much as they did maybe going into the season. Um, and so Notre Dame has to come up with answers for that. So that's what I'm most concerned with moving forward with this offense with, with Jared Parker and what they have to do. But um, I, I like, even though the production in the USC game wasn't great, I like some of the wrinkles that we saw there. I think some of it was probably influenced by Notre Dame feeling that it needed to be conservative with the way the game was going, that, that Notre Dame would built a lead until they probably weren't as aggressive on offense as maybe they would have liked to have been, or maybe we would have liked to have seen from the offense. Um, and so that sets me up for the question I wanted to ask you about the USC production. If you had to pick now, obviously the defenses that Notre Dame was going against in these games are vastly different. Um, yeah. Ohio state was a good defense, but Notre Dame got 351 yards, but didn't come up, didn't have the plays in the big moments that it needed. Like it couldn't Two, convert 251, 251. No, no, against Ohio State, it had three. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay, gotcha. Okay. So, Ohio, against Ohio State, Notre Dame had 100 more yards. Okay. Would you rather have a, an offense that has 100 more yards or takes advantage of opportunities and maybe struggles for yards like it did against USC? I would rather have an offense that did what it could, that could drive 90 some yards against one of the best defenses in the country. That would give me more confidence. Uh, so yeah, I'm voting for the Ohio State version because you can't count on those takeaways every game. Sure. Uh, and I'll have to go back and see when the last time Notre Dame forced five turnovers. But uh, but I like what they did. I just think there's enough talent on this team that you shouldn't have to pick between those two uh, scenarios. And you're and you're right. There are mitigating factors. The wide receiver room. And I wrote about this in my analysis today. And if you're a subscriber, you can read it. If you're not a subscriber, uh, Tyler will give the 30-day free trial information at the end of the show again. But I would suggest reading that story. But um, in in a cursory look at that here, they're going to have to decide what to do with Tobias Merriweather. He has gotten two weeks in a row, career or not, season low reps it was 25 against uh, Louisville it was 16 against USC and so he's going to have to have a, an impressive showing during the bye week and the and the week leading up to Pittsburgh in the abbreviated week they have this week to show that he still belongs in this group because they're going to start getting pieces back you know, Jaden Thomas, I don't think yet was himself. He had 12 reps in the USC game and didn't have any targets. You know, this gives him a chance to fully heal and kind of be who he is. Jaden Greathouse should continue to get healthier. And we may see Deion Colsey in the Pittsburgh game, probably more likely Clemson. But uh, that was Marcus's original timeline. And Marcus does move that timeline around with these arthroscopic surgeries. But but Deion Colsey could be back, and that's going to be a big addition. Jordan Faison isn't going anywhere. Notre Dame showed that it could play Chris Tyree and Jordan Faison together. Actually, all three slot receivers, I think, were in on one play with Great House, Tyree, Great House lining up as the boundary receiver, and then Tyree and Faison running, uh, running, lining up next to each other. So, yeah, that that is my 
answer to that question. How would you answer that question? Um, you mean the the question here about playing fight phase on and Tyree together? Is that what you mean? Uh, I meant the one that I said the Ohio. You asked me about Ohio. Oh, got you, got you. Well, you yeah, you had weekend. you had dovetailed into the talking about phase on and Tyree. So I was like, wait a minute. Um, I don't know. I I I want the points. Uh, now, granted, Notre Dame needed to be in the position to score those points that the defense provided. Um, but I mean, that was like, it's sort of like Al Golden's defense last year was great, but it sucked in the red zone. And to me, it's like, well, then your defense isn't that good. If you're going to let teams score in the red zone, like that's not, so if Notre Dame's going to score in the red zone as an offense, like to me, that is more important than getting yards. Um, but obviously, um, you can't, how often are you starting at the other team's 20? Right, but I mean, you don't have to. You don't have to go ninety yards every series either. If Notre Dame has, but a good you defense. have to go. You have to chew up clock, and you have to keep your defense off the field. I, I I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's your opinion. I'll let. Yeah. Well, I mean, but yeah, against which offense are you afraid of that you that you feel like you're not going to have good good defense that you that you have to going to go ninety yards and eat the clock the rest of the season? I don't think there's an offense on this schedule that will require you to play that kind of football. Um, I think Clemson is better than you're giving them credit for on offense. On offense, okay. I think they have been self-destructive. They are a very good running team. I mean, they're 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 way better running team than Notre Dame is statistically, and they ran all over Duke until the end of that game. But they absolutely self-destructed, and Cade Klubnik was a mess. I don't know that he's going to be a mess in November. Yeah, and certainly playing. At home, Clemson has uh, the advantage there. They're not going to, you wouldn't think, be rattled in the same way that they would, even though it was Duke um, playing on the road because um, they they give you many reasons to doubt them. They beat Wake Forest seventeen to twelve, right? You know, a couple weeks ago. So, um, all right. So let's talk about special teams then before we get to some of the questions that have been submitted in the chat. Um, okay. What do you think about the season Marty Biaggi has had? Well, certainly the Jadarian Price 99 kickoff return was a highlight. I would say I've been, and I think his faith in Spencer Schrader is starting to pay off. Spencer Schrader's on a little bit of a run right now mm-hmm. where he can be counted on. And I'm, I guarantee you there's going to be a game where a 50-plus yard field goal, you know, having somebody that you feel pretty good about marching out there is going to pay off, whether that's during the regular season or in a bowl game. I think that's going to come in handy to have had faith in him and not and not switch kickers there. Uh, how having said that, I'm very disappointed in the coverage, uh, both kickoff coverage and punt coverage. Every once in a while, you get an ooh ah hit inside the t- 25. Spencer Schrader can knock it through the end zone if they decide to do that all the time. But, I mean, the punt coverage was really bad against USC. USC is a good special teams team. Uh, unusual for them, but they are this year. Mm-hmm. And and I just think we've seen that too much. And in general, the returns haven't been good. We haven't seen a block punt this year, and that was going to be a hard act to follow. But we saw a running into the kicker penalty that resulted in USC going for it on fourth and one instead of punting the ball away at a key time. So I, you know, when I sit there and I talk to him and I hear his theories, I really like what he's talking about. 
and yet I haven't seen the results on the field, and maybe that's coming up in the last four games, but I've been a little disappointed. Yeah, I think it's been a pretty up-and-down season for Notre Dame special teams, and we are at the up part right now, at least with with the kick return and the field goal unit, Um, but punt coverage was shaky against USC, um, which is a team that you don't want to have shaky punt coverage against with Zachariah Branch back there, Um, but I think it's been beyond that. Notre Dame is number 92 in the FBS in net punting. Um, that that has to improve. Um, and so, uh, with a punter as good as McPherson is, yeah, he's he's 22nd in in the country in punting with 44.9 average. Um, but those the punt length, he's his his hang time is is part of that. I think I don't. It's not just the coverage units that are failing. I don't. Right. I, Bryce McPherson isn't setting up the coverage units for success on a consistent enough basis. Um, right. And so that that would probably be the be the biggest area of concern moving and forward. And the officials didn't give him any help when they uh, called it a touchback on the one that went out <laughs> yeah, yeah. over the pylon again. Yeah, the, the that play was, that couldn't that be reviewed. 20 net yards that was at, subtracted from the play the that couldn't be reviewed but was still reviewed. So that, that was like folks that were like freaking out about the Marcus Freeman timeout before halftime. Like, well, if this is what it should have happened, I was like, how are you going to trust the officials? Like, Marcus Freeman has been given enough reasons this season to not just let the officials make sure that, okay, worst case scenario, we just get a five-yard penalty. How do you know they weren't going to let that play go? We don't know what would have happened. Um, so I, I, I didn't I didn't fault him too much. Now it wasn't the best um, position, but the, the problem that needed to be fixed was the guy celebrating the backfield, not necessarily, in my opinion, Marcus Freeman taking the timeout. But that was a tangent. Um, not necessarily re- related to what we were going on here. Um, let's get to some of the questions that have been submitted okay. to us, Eric. Um, and I'll go with this first one. It'll, you'll probably need some time to uh, look up some answers for this. And I was actually doing this while you were talking earlier. So um, please forgive me. Um, Jeffrey Stevens asked, gentlemen, give us a couple of tough de- decisions that ND faces regarding red shirts this year, where they want to preserve the year for freshmen that have already played a game or two this year. And so I have gone through the participation reports with a few names. There aren't a lot of names, honestly, Yeah. Um, because Notre Dame either is playing them a lot or they're not playing much at all. Um, one that isn't a freshman that I think is worth keeping an eye on is Eli Raritan. He's played in two games. Do you need him to play in all these games? I, I think Notre Dame could probably get away with him not playing and it probably wouldn't be the worst thing to be able to save a year of eligibility for him given that he missed so much time with the knee injury. Um, so that is an option. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily trending in a way that Notre Dame is going to hold him out, um, but that I would at least consider that during the bye week. Hey, is there a plan that we can come up with here um, that allows us to do that? Maybe Eli Raritan just plays in the cleansing game for the regular season, then plays in the bowl game, so he only plays four games. I don't know that you want to do that, but that is something that I think you can at least consider. In terms of the true freshman Braylon James has played in two games. Um, if Notre Dame's receiving problems continue, can you get him on the field? Like, is it, and do you need him to get on the field? I think you have to. If I, I'm concerned, if you can't get him on the field, if the guys are struggling to the extent they have been struggling, like if you can't get Braylon James on the field, why? Why not? Like, why can't he get out there and get some run, even if it's in a limited role? Um, like it's not like the guys that are out there right now are producing at a much higher level than he is on the bench. Um, so I, I, that would be something that I think Notre Dame has to consider. And then the other one is Bubakar Traore, who we saw play oh. 
for the first time against USC um, and had a sack in his first game. He's played one game. Did, uh, did, did he play in Central Michigan or no? I had it was listed. He's listed as playing one game um, okay. in gotcha. on Notre Dame's participation. Uh, I'm going to look that up in the season while stats because um, that's where I got all these. That's where I pulled all these guys from. Um, I believe I'm just he's going to double check with Pro Football Focus for some reason. Um, I thought I and so if he's only played in one, I mean, regardless of whether he's played in one or two, yeah. they need to decide: can, do we push him beyond four? Is there a role that we can find for him in the defense that's worth pushing him past the four game limit? Um, so those are the guys that I would be, that I think Notre Dame has some tough decisions for. Um, and once Eric finds the Bubakar Traore participation, according to pro football focus, I'll let him weigh in. If he has some other guys in mind that, that Notre Dame may have a, uh, a chance okay, now, to, to now PFF has him having played against six reps against Tennessee state, three against central Michigan and two against USC. All right. Well, that would that's a significant difference. That is a significant difference. <laughs> but let's say let's say that Notre Dame's accounting is correct. Let's say that they got mixed up, and they have before. PFF didn't have uh, Tosh Baker playing in a game that he clearly came in and and played for uh, Blake Fisher when Blake Fisher got injured. So, and Notre Dame has messed up too. Let's yeah, talk. Notre Dame has messed up. Yes, they both have messed up. No, yes, there's been plenty of mess ups. Heck, we heard the stadium announcer say that Deion Colsey had an interception uh, on Saturday night. So, but but <clears> let's <throat> say any of those scenarios, one, two, or three game. I mean, Tyler, you remember when we were at the um, open practice at School Field in South Bend? And I'm like, 51, you know, because I don't have all the numbers memorized at that point. And even Saturday, I'm like, 51. Bubakar! Um, and he was so impressive in that practice. Now, he wasn't going against Joe Alt and Blake Fisher, but he was going against some pretty decent future starting tackles for Notre Dame. I think if a guy can play two reps and get a sack on one of them, and you've been down toward the bottom until Saturday night of teams in the country and fewest sacks. Right. I'd say that's a guy I want to take a, a longer look at. I think it's worth burning a year of eligibility if he can bring that kind of pass rush. Now you have to teach him how to celebrate on the <laughs> sideline afterwards, but uh, I think that would be a, a worthy one to do. All right. Any other any other freshmen you're, that you think that Notre Dame should push push for? No, maybe I mean again, back? a lot of them were in the Tennessee State, you know, Navy kind of Central Michigan run. Right. So, like we're talking guys like Brennan Vernon. They they haven't really needed those guys. I mean, I think the the ones that are not. I don't think Jaden Osbury. He's been playing special teams. Drake Bone has been playing special teams. Yeah, so Osbury's both, played four. Bowen's played more than that. I'm I'm pretty sure. Right. I, I'd say put the hammer down and let those guys play and get as much experience because there's a chance both those guys could be starters next year. I had asked. Um, that's how we got into the fact that Ziggler and Eli was coming back. I think it was in one of the Thursday zooms. I asked Marcus, "Are you thinking about?" a plan to redshirt either Eli or Ziegler. And he's like, oh, no, not on either of them. They're both coming back, and and they were back soon. But 
but I don't know that he was necessarily listening to the red shirt part of that question <laughs> yeah, yeah, as yeah. much as he was telling us that they were coming back. And you could certainly do that with Nolan Ziegler. I think it's better off to play. I mean, we're in a day and age now, if kids aren't going to the NFL after four years and they're not playing as much as they want to, they're going to go into the portal and place somewhere else their fifth year. I don't know that red shirting really benefits you that much unless it's an offensive or defensive line. Yeah, but I would I think the counter to that is that the players know yes, that what's too. the counter. The players know that too and they say, well yeah. no, I'm not I'm not playing past four games if I, I'd rather not play and, and have that year available to me. Um and I don't there are probably guys that we see that around the country that have already like say they played in four games they're like nope I'm entering the transfer portal I don't want to stay here um I I don't know that that's necessarily going to happen for anyone at Notre Dame this season but I think um well I can't they, well I mean it, not not with somebody that's a senior I mean that's you're thinking about like Jacob Lacey what he did no I mean well, no here for here's an instance okay. what what say Deion Colsey's like you know what I'm gonna take the rest of the season off oh, he's played in four games like, I don't need to come back after this knee injury. I'm not saying this is what Deion Colsey is going to do, yeah. okay. but guys ha- but guys reserve – like, that is a part – that is more a part of the conversation than it ever has been before because of the transfer portal and wanting to make – Yeah, there, I want to say that you're full of it, but you know what? There's nobody that's full of it in this day and age. With the transfer portal and all the other different rules, all those things happen now. I mean, people used to ask me in my chat, is so-and-so thinking about transferring, you know, and – because they're not playing, and it was for easier for me to kind of chuckle that question. And now it's like, you know, I need to answer this. Um, how I think it's going to happen because <laughs> right. it does. Yeah, you know, I mean, anytime the quarterback wasn't playing, they were going to transfer, and now they do. All right, Beef Eater ND zero eight says hello, gents. Any idea what Marcus Freeman said to Xavier Watts when he was coming off the field after the scoop and score? He got asked about it in the press conference. Wasn't that the play? And he yeah. didn't have it. He couldn't remember. I mean, well, no. was, well I don't remember if that he was said the one something. He, he said, he goes, normally what I tell him is, you know, yeah, one no, play, so one think, life. Or so whatever. I think he got asked about something else. Pre, yeah. Chad Welty has, has chimed in with the correct answer. He was telling him to protect the football because Xavier sort of slowed down and he was like, right. He sort of lally gagged into the end zone yeah. where he's like, no, finish the play, give the ball yeah. to the official. And okay. that's that's what that discussion was. I don't know if that was what Marcus was asked about in the postgame. I, don't I think, think he was asked about a different, maybe. Yeah, one of I think, the but I do think that came up too. I think he did it mention did. that. He, he did. He referenced, and we can't be doing this kind of stuff. He, I don't think he mentioned Watts specifically. He was like, we can't yeah. celebrate on the field. We can't you know, slow down as we're going in the end zone. We need to run right. through the end zone. Yeah, he was he was picking out those things. So, yes, you're right. I was probably listening to being confused that Deion Colsey had gotten an interception. <laughs> All right. Uh, Ryden42 asks, can Notre Dame get Faison and Tyree on the field together more to create more explosive plays? I think they – I mean, they did. I saw them line up with each other. That was, I mean, the phase on touchdown came with both of them on the field in the first game, in the Louisville game. Yeah, so so I think it's possible. Do I think that that's the best lineup? I think until somebody emerges at that field receiver that really grabs that and takes that, 
I think I would like to see Tyree get some looks there. And I mean, Faison's not going away. I realize that people say, well, this is a walk-on. How can a walk-on be having this kind of impact on your team? If you walked into uh, training camp and you didn't know any of the players mm-hmm. and you saw 80 running around, you wouldn't, and you said, "Who who's the walk-on among the wide receivers? And you only had him and the scholarship guys to pick from. It wouldn't be necessarily natural for you to pick 80. Because I kept thinking, who's 80? Right. You know, again, I don't, it takes me a while to learn the numbers. I don't carry around it with me. And and when somebody surprises me uh, or has switched numbers, <laughs> uh, they catch my attention. He was one. Luke Talich caught my attention, the safety, uh, a walk-on, who I think will eventually play for Notre Dame. He's been playing special teams and so forth. But I think in the future, we'll see Luke Talich be in the safety rotation he's not your ordinary i mean he was a three-time state sprint champ in wyoming i realize you're saying wyoming there's like eight people and they're all in the witness protection program but (laughs) this kid was really good and um you know he had scholarship offers elsewhere i think jordan Faison, had he not been such a high profile men's lacrosse recruit he would have likely gotten more scholarship offers than just iowa yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that, when people mention that, they just want to argue about, like, the development. And so it's like, well, we're at where we're at now. Like, you need the guys that can play. And I think that Jared Parker was kind of like that when we talked to him. He's like, hey, we need guys that can make explosive plays. He's showing that we can. We're going to play him. Like, that's that's how that Notre Dame got to this point of playing a guy that they knew they'd have to commit a scholarship to if he played. And uh, that's why they've chosen to do that. And so I think we'll continue to see them – use any sort of mixing and matching they can to create those explosive opportunities for Notre Dame. Um, I was going to also answer the question from Bob Alvey. Um, Jared Parker needs to pass the ball to Tyree Moore. He is second in receiving yards behind Mitchell Evans by one yard with eight less receptions and far less targets. How many season snaps does Tyree have compared to the other wide receivers? And I have that looked up here. Um, Chris Tyree has 179 snaps in eight games, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, That puts him fourth on the team and snaps by receivers behind Tobias Merriweather, who has 284, Rico Flores Jr., who has 245, and Jaden Thomas, who has 236. And some of that's dictated by the fact that Chris Tyree has been healthy. I don't know that he's gotten enough snaps in some games. Uh, I still think that there's a higher end for Chris Tyree just because of his speed. And, I mean... Sam Hartman gave such a great testimonial after the game to Chris Tyree yeah. about what a fighter he is and how when things have not looked good for him and here comes Jordan Faison and um, that Chris Tyree is hung in there. I think there's a reward out there for Chris Tyree. I would not give up on that kid at this point. Yeah, there are some... Like... I may give up on him on punt returns, but not <laughs> as a receiver. There are some like moments that it's like oh man chris has to catch that but he ends up making plays too i think he's what i think you know what you even in a struggling year you thought tobias merriweather might be able to give you but tobias just isn't providing those plays at the same way that chris tyree is and so i think that's sort of the substitute at this point is finding ways to get the ball to chris tyree down the field or even some screen opportunities he had a nice screen 
uh, play against USC where he got the ball, made a guy miss, and picked up, I don't know, it might not have been 20 yards, but it was more than 15, I think. So um, some good some good opportunities to get him the ball more. He seems to make a, a play or two a game. The downside is sometimes he's maybe going to not come up in a, in a situation where you want to, and that maybe that's due to not being an experienced and polished receiver. Um, but I think he – he has the potential to make plays and he has at least come through to make plays. And so I think Notre Dame's going to have to keep, keep going back to that. I like him on screens. Uh, Rick Fairman asked, do you think Sam Hartman is running a little scared? He seems a little hesitant, way different from earlier in the schedule. Um, I, I have a sense that in him, I, I think the Louisville game, he didn't seem himself, and yet the offensive line wasn't itself. I w- I'm not sure that I would have played with a lot of confidence then. Um, I mean, Sam Hartman has been through so much personally and in football. I, I just think he's got a hard, hard shell. I, I would not think he's a guy that's going to get rattled and uh, be more hesitant. I mean, maybe he's not as confident – in the place coming in or is a, or his, whether he's allowed to change some plays, Marcus made it sound like there were some plays where he couldn't change the line of scrimmage, but I think Sam Hartman is all in with this team. And uh, so my answer would be no. Yeah. And if, if he means, if Rick means running as in like literally like running the football, I don't, I, I disagree. I think he's been more aggressive running the oh. football as of late. Um, in terms of like just playing quarterback scared, um, I think he's playing hesitant in that he doesn't trust the receivers as much. Um, and I think they've given him reason to not, uh, but, uh, I, I don't think scared and hesitant aren't usually aren't the words that I associate with Sam Hartman. And so I, I, I think that's a little bit too strong in my opinion. And Rick, I apologize Mm -hmm. about not getting back to you, Tyler already. I think he answered you, but we're blaming it on the Louisville game. (laughs) <laughs> All right, Eric, you want to get into some of the USC reviews, some of the stuff that maybe we haven't touched on so far? Yeah, let's go into the USC review. So f- from your standpoint, how does Marcus Freeman emerge from this in terms of perception and where he can take the program? Did this game change your mind? Did you have whiplash? Um, No, and I think I've sort of cautioned that, like going into the game, that like this is a – on both sides, like this is a really tough task for Marcus Freeman. If they lose to USC, like I don't think that Notre Dame is it. That doesn't mean that Notre Dame can't be a good team eventually. Um, and on the flip side, if they beat USC, like that doesn't mean like Notre Dame's going to be able to roll through the rest of their schedule either. Um, so I, I mean, so I think it would be hard, but I do think it's hard to say it doesn't change at all. Like the more evidence you see that Notre Dame can prepare against an opponent that maybe is better than them, although the Vegas line indicated that it didn't believe that that was necessarily the case. And win those games, that, that's that's better, and that's good evidence for Marcus Freeman moving forward. Um, I think the the biggest question, beyond some of, the, some of the game management stuff I have with Marcus Freeman, is can he get Notre Dame to have an offense that can compete at the same level of Notre Dame's defense? Um, and I don't know that, that that's a question that's been answered yet, and the USC game wasn't going to necessarily provide the – the answer for that. So um, in terms of perception, I think it helps the fan base that was already ready to get pitchforks out after the Louisville loss. And, and I think they had to put them back in their, 
in their sheds after after the USC victory. Um, but uh, I think uh, there's still going to be plenty of questions um, following this program despite the USC victory. What do you think, Eric? I agree. I think you can't te- temper it too much. I will say that the Louisville loss shook my confidence in Marcus Freeman really for the most of the 22 games that he's now coached out of the first 21. That game shook me a little bit more than the other ones. The USC game didn't completely reverse it, but what I will say is I think this team showed me something in terms of what they could do the rest of the season and and that can they figure it out? I think they have the resilience and the toughness to figure it out whether they have all the answers. I'm not sure. Right. But I feel a lot better about that. But one thing I really, one point I want to make about Marcus, he's had more of these big games than any coach since they've had top 25. So he's coached in 22 games. 11 of them have been against top 25 teams. How does that compare? I've got it written down right here, so I'm going to have to look at this so I won't be able to look at Tyler. (laughs) Uh, Tyrone Willingham was next with 10. Lou Holtz had nine. Bob Davey had seven. Charlie Weiss had seven. And Brian Kelly had three. And what what was the Marcus Freeman number again? 11 out of 20. Okay, I want to make sure 50% of his games Mm -hmm. have been against ranked teams. Now, you could also make the case that Marcus took over a program that was maybe more equipped to play top 25 teams with the state of the program when he took it over. It wasn't a a rebuild. I I would say Bob Davey probably, from a talent standpoint, had the second best situation taking over. But, But again, I mean, every other game, statistically has been against a top 25 team so there's been there's been a higher higher mark and again Marcus has victories over two top 10 teams and Brian Kelly had four in 12 years as a head coach now there was a bad statistic on our message board and on Twitter where somebody made the point that Brian Kelly only won three top 10 or two top 10 games at home in his 12 years. That's not fair. He had three total. So there weren't many of his. He had 16 and only three were at home. Marcus has had two at home. He's won two of them. He's had five total. So he's two and three. Brian Kelly was four and 12. I think that's the fairer comparison than saying, well, Brian Kelly only won two. Well, yeah, he only had three. So That was good context. Thank you. Okay. Do we want to go to the next thing here, or do we have questions? Um, I, there was one question, just a general question from Irish fan. Uh, what was it like for you guys watching that one in the press box? Well, I didn't sit next to Tyler, so he didn't hear all my great commentary this time. And Charleston's pretty quiet, but I did see him smile twice. <laughs> um, it was, um, it was surprising. I mean, it wasn't. Even though I had picked Notre Dame to win, I wasn't supremely confident, and I did that largely by ignoring what happened in the Louisville game and looking purely at the numbers and listening to the betting line. The betting line spooked me, and I changed my prediction before we did our Place Your Bet segment. But I was surprised at how well the defense played. And uh, so that was 
and, and we don't get a ton of games that surprise us to that extent. You know, I, I think the all-time one for me was Oklahoma in 2012, where, where not only did Notre Dame beat a team that had, you could count on one hand the non-conference home games that lost in the Bob Stoops era, but that Notre Dame was bullying them in the fourth quarter, just running it down their throat, knowing Oklahoma, knowing that it was going to be a running play and them just plowing down the field uh, to put the finishing touches on that victory. This wasn't quite like that, but it was in that same category for me. I think, yeah, and I think there's some parallels to the Clemson game last year where I don't know that yeah. it was that surprising that Notre Dame beat Clemson, but the way that they sort of dominated Clemson and, and Clemson couldn't do anything about it. Um, and that was a game heavily influenced by defense and special teams as well. Um, so I think there's some similarities there. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was fun to see um them Notre Dame to play at that level in that atmosphere. Notre Dame hasn't always met the atmosphere in Notre Dame Stadium with that type of performance. Um and for, for Notre Dame to do that. Um and just the fact that in the way that they did it, how surprising it was that they just completely shut down Caleb Williams and first forced him into turnovers was was pretty impressive. And there was no Belinda Carlisle played um in this game that I heard. Uh, Roderick, Roderick Blackman asked, why haven't we seen this type of pressure from Golden all season? You know, that was the next thing we were going to talk about, and we can segue into that. Mm -hmm. um, I think they've been searching for the personnel, the right personnel combinations of how much Jalen Sneed to use, when to blitz the linebackers. And you've also had three defensive linemen in particular really – kind of finding their groove in the last few weeks. Riley Mills, Howard Cross really has been doing it all season, but he's been a monster the past few weeks. And JJB, Javante Jean-Baptiste, has really had, even though it doesn't show up in his sack totals, yeah. the quarterback hurry totals, he's, he's really finding his groove as a player. I think those three guys – in addition to how much Kaiser do you use, how much Jalen Sneed do you use? Mm -hmm. And then on the back end, Xavier Watts kind of turning into an elite safety to complement the, the really good corners Notre Dame has, I think has helped too. And I think all those things came together. So I'll let Tyler answer, and then I have a follow-up um, on this. Yeah, I think it was sort of like the perfect storm um, of like – seemed like most everyone on the defensive front was playing at a high level at the same time. Um, Notre Dame was on was more effective in getting to Caleb Williams when it just rushed four versus blitzing more than that. Um, so maybe there was some confusion up front with the guys just doing, doing a good job of winning the reps and making sure it impacted Caleb Williams, but sometimes you can win a rep and not impact the quarterback. Um, and Caleb Williams is probably a guy who's used to being able to get away with some things. Um, and Notre Dame wasn't allowing that um, necessarily. They did sometimes, um, and more in the first half than the second half. Um, he was able to scramble and make some plays, but um, Notre Dame did a good job of that. I mean, even Maris Leifau won a one-on-one -on -one rep, and he doesn't do that very often in a pass rush situation. Um, and he just whooped the left guard or right guard um, and was able to, to get to – to um, Caleb Williams for a sack. So I think it was just a combination of 
guys playing at a high level and uh, making it making it matter. And, and Caleb Williams maybe maybe not um, fearing the defensive line as much as as he should have. I think um, also having played Brendan Vernon and Riley Leonard earlier in the season helps, even though they're not Caleb Williams. I think having had to come up with schemes to deal with not letting them gash them if if they got away from the pressure, I think that that was helpful um, as as part of what went on here. So my question to you, Tyler, then is. Mm-hmm. Is this now again? You can't roll out the same pressures and do it against everybody else because they will scout you and they'll know what you're doing. But in terms of rotations, in terms of okay, this is the personnel that works. Do you think this can be replicated over the last four games and produce similar results? I do. I I, I do too. I think Notre Dame has to rely on its top guys. I. I We've seen some flashes from Notre Dame's backup defensive linemen, or and even say Jalen Sneed. And I think they're they need to continue to use those guys. But I think you have to make, I think you have to press the right buttons and not be afraid to to play Howard Cross a lot, play Javante Jean Baptiste a lot. Um, and I think the way the schedule sets up now, the way how it made it a terrible first eight games for Notre Dame and a very strenuous one, you got you got two bye weeks here. That you can that you're dealing with, you got a bye week in the middle of a four game stretch, and so the November grind that you're used to in college football isn't necessarily quite the same. Um, and so I think Notre Dame that should help Notre Dame be able to maximize the sort of volume that these guys can handle towards the end of the season. Get it, as long as there aren't some lasting effects from the first eight games that are impacting those guys, but it certainly didn't look that way with the way those guys were playing um, on Saturday against USC. Okay, I cannot believe it's eight o'clock already. I don't know how how far we want to go with this. Do we need to take any more questions, or do we want to throw one more topic out on the table? Um, I don't mind going a little bit over since it's bye week. I, I don't know if you got okay. plans, but I, I I can I can go over. Um, and I do want us to talk about the bye week priorities a little bit. Maybe yeah, we do that. That was a, that maybe, was what maybe I was we do that in, in a speed round. But let's get to these questions first. Okay. Um, and then we'll also try to do that. So maybe we won't be as in-depth with some of this, but um, I want to try to get to as much of it as we can. Okay, lightning around. All right, Michael McFadden, with two weeks left and only four winnable games left, I think – or two weeks off uh, and only four winnable games left, I think we will easily be 10th and top 10 before the bowl game. Do you agree? You know, I haven't cross-pollinated all the schedules and so forth, but knowing all the – knowing what's going to happen in the Pac-12 because all the good teams are playing each other out there. There's a lot of SEC teams that have to play each other. Yes, I think it's reasonable. The only thing that hurts Notre Dame a little bit is there's not a lot of octane in the schedule. They kind of need Clemson to be a two- or three-loss team when they play them if they beat them, Um, and then they need to be convincing, certainly, against those two teams at the end of the schedule. Stanford and Wake Forest, no messing around winning 17 to 12 against one of those teams. Yeah, I think I think it seems reasonable. I mean, I just sort of always feel like there's going to be chaos in college football. Um, so if you win out, I think you have a chance of 
of getting back well, into the top well, what, 10. Yeah, what hurt Notre Dame in 2019 was they got beat so bad by Michigan. Right. And then Michigan held them down. Michigan didn't rise. I think they had another loss, at least to Ohio State that year. And, and it kept Notre Dame suppressed in the rankings for the whole rest of the year because people couldn't get that 31-point loss out of their head. Nor should they have, but that was a much better team than when they where they finished in the rankings. Yeah, and it would certainly help Notre Dame's chances if Louisville doesn't let the bottom drop out of their season as well. So, we'll and see. if USC does it, USC's got some tough games. Sure. Yep. Um, I appreciate all the funny questions that Beef Eater has been submitting to us. I've tried to avoid most of them because we've been running so long. But I wanted—I thought this one was a good one. Important question: If you live in a neighborhood full of kids that are OSU fans, what candy do you hand out on Halloween? to make sure the kids never come back? Um, well, this one hits close to home because <laughs> I was one of those kids <laughs> growing up. And uh, the thing that would keep me from coming back to somebody's house were Clark bars. Uh, if they gave me a Clark bar, I wasn't going back to that house the next year. Those are icky. And, right. and there's some like chewy things and wrappers that don't, you know, generic things. But as far as a name brand... <laughs> Candy piece Clark bar. Uh, yeah, I don't know how familiar I am with the Clark bar. Um, I had to Google that. Uh, circus peanuts was the thing that I think is the worst candy, and then maybe that's part of the generic, generic, chewy stuff you were talking about. But those, those are terrible. The orange things that look like peanuts, those are, those are terrible. If you open it up and you don't know what it is, I would throw <laughs> it in the trash can. All right, uh, we'll get one more question here, Keith Nagy. Uh, are after hearing from a fan who was there, Tyree and Flores were open over the middle and Sam locked on Mitch every time. Is he being told who to go to? Well, plays have designs that you start going through a progression and somebody is your primary target on a particular play. So you're not surveying the whole field. You're going through a progression. So it's possible that there were plays where those guys were open and Sam didn't get to that part of his progression, but it wasn't like Mitch Evans had an inordinate amount of targets in that game. I thought, um, you know, again, there will be uh, plays where Tyree's the primary target or Flores is the primary target. And I think, I mean, as far as recent Notre Dame quarterbacks, I'd say Jack Cohn and, and Sam Hartman are the guys that go through progressions pretty well. Yeah, Evans was targeted four times, I believe. Um, I think Tyree had three and Flores had two. Um, it was spread I, around. I mean, yeah, 13 I don't, I don't, completions and nine different players. I don't know. Yeah, that what Keith is saying that the fan told him isn't necessarily something that I, I noticed. Um, I want to know how many beers the fan had. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I... I I would be looking to Mitch Evans too early, given what he's been able to do. Um, but obviously, a lot of that is dictated by what the defense is doing and, and the progressions right. that you that you believe you need to go to based on the pre-snap look. So, um, I, I I didn't have necessarily a problem with with some of the decisions that that Sam Hartman was making with with his uh, pass passing targets against USC. All right, Eric. Let's talk about uh, what Notre Dame needs to do during the bye week. Okay, well, I wrote a whole column about that today, 
uh, which is was a premium piece. And it's so again, if um, if you want to take a look at that and all our great recruiting coverage and everything else behind the paywall, use code NDYT for a 30 day trial of InsideNDSports.com. So I'm going to let you go first since I wrote the column today, and then I can uh, I can heckle you. Okay, I'll just I'll just like list the three off, and if there's one that you disagree with or one that you want to uh, zero in on, let okay. me know. I think, <laughs> and it's all all related to the offense. Okay. Um, find reliable answers in the running game. Get your wide receivers healthy and find ways to get them involved. And then make a final decision on Billy Shrouth and Andrew Kristoffic. Those are the three things that I think Notre Dame needs to prioritize during the bye week. I would say of the ones that I wrote about the the offensive priorities, so there was only one defensive one, and it was very very minor in terms of what what they needed to do. So I would say if you're going to make a change at offensive line, this is the time to do it. Mm -hmm. and and figure out who your top five guys are and then leave it alone and go through the rest Mm -hmm. of the season. If Billy Shrouth is better than one of your starting guards, put them in there and ride that to the end. It doesn't sound like they're going to make a change with Zeke Carell, but, I mean, again, if Andrew Kristoffic, he was part of a mid-year offensive line change in 2021. That actually came a week before the bye week. Uh, my second would be figure out what's going on in the wide receiver room and prioritize the guys that you can really count on and get them in the right places. And again, you're getting pieces back. You're going to get most likely Jaden Thomas at the best of his game with a weak rest and not having to tax that hamstring. You quite possibly, unless Tyler James's redshirt scenario plays out, you're going to get Deion Colsey back. How does Jordan Faison fit in? How does Chris Tyree fit in? So you really have to kind of look now that you're going to have the numbers and figure out who can help you the best and then play those guys. And in that, you got to figure out, are you going to keep investing in Tobias Merriweather or does he have to play his way back onto the, the field? He has the most reps of any wide receiver on the team and he has eight catches uh, this season. And, and those two things don't align. I'm a believer that Tobias is going to figure it out at some point. I just don't know when, and I don't know where. It could be here. It could be at another school. I think he's got the talent, uh, and I think he's got the wherewithal to get there, but it, they've they've kind of babied it through for eight weeks, and, and now they're going to make some tough decisions. The third thing is really making tweaks in the offense that's going to make Notre Dame – be what it was in the first four games. And that's a team that could open up the run using its passing game and open up the pass using its running game. That's what Notre Dame is going to be ideal. And again, there are going to be teams right out of the bye week gate that are going to test that. Pittsburgh is absolutely built to test Notre Dame to see if they've done that. And then Clemson even more so because they don't have a weakness on defense. Yeah, uh, the offensive line one is the most like intriguing just because it invo- involves like moving pieces and like how do, how do you know if this is the right time to do that? Like have you seen enough from Billy Shrouth in practice or Andrew Christophic in practice to to make the move? Notre I, Dame did this during a bye week once too with Aaron Banks where they brought Aaron Banks in to be mm-hmm. a starter during a bye week. 
Yeah, I mean, I think center is probably their biggest concern personally. Um, I don't not now. The problem with Coogan and Spindler is sometimes they're terrible and sometimes they're they're great. Um, and I don't, it's it's never the same time. It's not like one has been bad all season and one has been good all season. I think they've each had their moments, which I think that's that comes with inexperienced players. And so if you add in a Billy Strauss to that, is that really going to make that? Is there is there going to be a difference in that? Well, let me ask you this, Tyler. Here here's a, something we haven't even considered. Pat Coogan has been hmm. a backup center his whole time until this year, and then he competed for a guard spot. If you're truly getting the best five on the field, is there a scenario where Coogan moving to center makes sense and bringing in Shroud? <laughs> it's, uh, you, re- you read my mind because my notes say, if I'm being honest, the move I'd prefer is probably the most or the least likely, and that would be Coogan to center and Shroud to left guard. Um I, don't I know think that that's would, what they may look like next year. Um, I don't know that you would do that because then you got two new guy, two guys playing in different positions. Um, they did it once with Nick Martin, and I, and uh, you do look like for for the, the opposite way because of a hand injury. Like Zeke Carell's experience matters, I think, and so like I think that's why that probably won't happen, um, even if he isn't playing to the level you want him to at, at center in terms of moving the line of scrimmage. Um, so I, it's probably not what happens, but I don't know. I, I think it's uh, uh, something that's worth considering the most likely solution or like result. I'm, I, my guess would be that they, they sort of stay put and, and let these guys ride it out and um, see what happens. But well, these are the two games that you need to be your best yeah. for coming out of the bye is the Pittsburgh and Clemson games. And so that's what the season is about at this point. It, it really is about Pitt and Clemson and winning those matchups. Right. And they're the teams that are going to test Zeke Carell or whoever your center is the most. You don't have to close the gap on Georgia this week, even though the gap got smaller with Brock Bowers being out for the rest of the season, it looks like. But you don't have to close that gap. What you're trying to do is get into the top 10, get to that New Year's Six Bowl, get some great momentum, win the New Year's Six game. And the teams that present that bad matchup for you are Clemson and Pittsburgh. They both are really tough um, with that interior part of their defensive lines. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's why I think you probably maybe, – maybe what ends up happening is Notre Dame runs out the same five like prepares to have those guys going if those guys struggle, not like a rotation, like whatever was was going on a Louisville game. It don't be afraid mid game to pull the pull the plug on one of those guys. Make sure Andrew Kristoffic and Billy Shouth are ready to go and say, hey, you know what? It's not it's not Zeke Carell's day. It's not Pat Coogan's day. It's not Rocket Spinner's day. And just make that change and let let the replacement sort of run with it for the rest of the game. And so maybe that's what ends up happening. But um, it's probably not. Uh, there's probably a lot of things going through Joe Rudolph's head this week in terms of okay, what what do I got? What do I have to do here? What gives us the best chance to win these next two games? All right, I think that's the best ending stop we can get to here, Eric. I'm sure we can keep going, but um, I think uh, we've hit most of the topics we wanted to get to. We had a lot of good questions from our audience, so we appreciate you all for sending those in. Is there anything else you want to get out there before we go, Eric? 
If you live in South Bend, check out Legacy Heating and Air. They're our sponsor. I'm also a customer. I love Legacy Heating and Air. If you don't live in South Bend, move here and look up Legacy Heating and Air when you need a new furnace or air conditioner or even just have maintenance to do on a crummy one you bought from somebody else. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not a homeowner, but I know Eric has been singing the praises of Legacy Heating and Air for quite some time. Um, like we said at the top of the show and throughout the show and the screen has been reminding you, we have a 30 day free trial available to our YouTube audience for insideindysports.com. Use the promo code NDYT when you sign up to get free access to our premium analysis and recruiting coverage and access to us all day long on the insider lounge. We will not be back on YouTube until next Monday, but we will record an inside ND sports podcast later this week. And we have plenty of football and recruiting and even some basketball coverage coming later this week on InsideNDSports.com. So you make sure you check that out. And I hope you all enjoy the bye week as much as Eric and I will. See ya.